Hello and welcome to the Hamster Book Club. My name is Joe Ford and I am here, I haven't scared off, three returning guests. I've got Luke back, Andrew and Mark. Say hello, boys. Hello. Hello, boys. Hello, boys. Oh, very nice. <laughs> um, fellas, so so it wasn't too bad the first time around then. Oh, it's quite a great time. Joe. Oh, that's it was good. very good. I've got all your answers at the same time there, but I'm sure people will be able to pull them apart. It's going to make for great audio. <laughs> first, first time around, I asked you what your first Doctor Who book was, just to get a taste of uh, where you were with Doctor Who books. This time, I'd love to ask each of you who your favourite Doctor Who author is and why. And I'm going to throw it out to Luke first. All right. So I, I felt bad because last time I was like, hey, I like Steve Lyons in The Crooked World. And I was about to say him again because I really like Steve Lyons. But uh, instead, I'm going to keep it Australian. Uh, I love Kate Orman. Oh, yes. Uh, I've read nice. almost everything that she's written, uh, either with YSL or with John Blum, always Richard characters. And also, if the doctor's getting a bit too big for his britches, just read a Kate Orman book. Because uh, she's going to torture him big time. <laughs> <laughs> no exceptions. So, yeah, and I think uh, my favorite, and it is my bias showing, but my favorite is probably the era of Intelligent Tigers. So, uh, it's my favorite era of the books. It's just, it's like, uh, it's like the Silurians, just uh, without the Brigadier and Unit in it, I guess. If that makes sense. And set on an alien world with tigers. All right, so that those first couple of chapters, as you're exploring, is it Hitchimus? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, God Almighty! I mean, she can evoke a world in prose so quickly. I kind of wish she was still doing. I know she did yeah. a second Doctor story recently. I haven't heard it, but uh, I wish she did a lot more. It's been a while. A, fr a friend of mine, Nathan, he knows her quite well because you know they're all out in Australia, and uh, he said that in the nicest possible way she's a very smart woman and she's batshit crazy as well that's why they all love her and <laughs> it's a winning combination the the sort of the flight for entirety podcast those boys know her quite well and when she was writing her new adventures stuff like sleepy they were sort of getting the manuscripts through and giving notes on those books so if there's anything you don't like oh, in her wow. books you can blame that bunch blame right that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how about you then andrew i'm intrigued <laughs> uh, well, I think I'm going to sound like a broken record because um, I'm going to say Paul Mars, who was also the author of the book that I chose as my recommendation last time, The Scarlet Empress. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just loved his books since since I was a kid, really, because I think I wrote, read The Scarlet Empress when I was about 11 or 12, probably understood about half of it. Um, and then, um, yeah, just kind of followed his work and have also ventured into his other fiction as well. So I'm kind of very deep into the Marsverse at the moment. Um, and it's really nice how all his books kind of cross and interweave with each other. So some of the characters from his Doctor Who books also feature in his other non-Doctor Who stuff. Um, and I just love the kind of postmodern clashing together of different characters and eras and talking about storytelling as a whole. And just like the the thing about like, I think a lot of people latch onto like the camp side of his work, which I absolutely love, but there's this really kind of warm humanity to it as well. So it's not just kind of silliness and kit. Well, it is silliness and kitsch, but it also kind of has this real, real kind of seriousness and um, yeah, emotion to it and kind of emotional truth, which sounds very pretentious, but yeah, I just love his work so much. And it's just very Doctor Who for me. 
I, I so when I asked this question last week, I chose Paul Mars as well. <laughs> I I, oh, I, nice. bas- I basically said that um, he's a very clever man writing very clever books and making it look really easy and really simple but you kind of look underneath all the jokes and the campery and the sort of the optimism there's some really clever things going on he's such a such a brilliant in fact i'm doing an interview for him for the hamster book club very soon so get get your questions in for that one all right because i'm gonna ask everyone (laughs) to sort of contribute do you uh the scarlet empress is your favorite isn't it what would be uh, after that then um probably the other the the Blue Angel and Verdigree, because they were kind of like my, the ones that I really latched onto when I was young. But I've also really, really enjoyed uh, The Return of Robin Hood and uh, Josephine and the Argonauts recently. Yeah. Um, they're just, it's just really nice that they kind of just really latch onto an an era and feel really authentic. But they're also doing that thing of kind of mashing Doctor Who together with other characters from fiction, which is really Paul Mars territory so yeah they're just they're just like like a warm hug they're lovely books and sort of quietly subversive at the same time as well because he leans into those eras and does surprise do you remember in verdigree where he had the the nerve to have that sequence set in unit hq and it was all written as a series of stills and it's basically a load of telly snaps yeah with the (laughs) the mechanical sheet (laughs) you've got some nerve paul mars (laughs) have you explored brenda and effie and all of that yes great books aren't they I've just finished Brenda and Effie, like the kind of the the series book. So I think there's one more, which is short stories. So yeah, I'm feeling a little bit bereft now. I've kind of yeah. Have you, been, have you been to Whitby Bay yet? I have been to Whitby, and yeah. I also used to read these books called The Whitby Witches when I was a kid. So yeah, Whitby is yeah, it's kind of like a storybook come to life for me. It's amazing. I think that's great. That's two two chalks there for Paul Mars on this one. <laughs> Brilliant, Mark. Oh, God, I feel like such a heathen now listening to you guys because you're all so well-read in all this stuff, and I've not really read that much. Uh, I was going to have to say something like Terence Dix before we started. I thought, no, it's, as much as I love Uncle Terence, and I owe him a lot for encouraging me to read at a, a young age. Um, actually, you've encouraged me, Joe. I know it's... Uh, I, I shouldn't really be... Uh, I shouldn't be <laughs> praising you or making you too big-headed, but uh, you have encouraged me to read some, well, just read, because my uh, attention span was horrific, Um, but I've been encouraged, and I've read a few of the books that you've mentioned that you're covering, and a couple have sprung up that I really enjoyed. I'm partway through one of them at the moment, um, and they are written by Lance Parkin. Oh, he's fabulous. So you mentioned that you were going to be looking at Father Time. So I've read that, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I am about halfway through the Infinity Doctors at the moment. Ooh. So Nice. Which Doctor is that, that Mark? Of... Which Doctor do you imagine well... is in the Infinity Doctors? <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be part of the Eighth Doctor range, but who knows? Who Does knows? it matter? Does no, it matter? I think that's the point. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He manages to do that thing in the Infinity Doctors to make the Sontar and Rutan conflict have enormous scale, doesn't it? Like it's in a proper science fiction novel. Yeah, I just really enjoy his prose. I find it quite accessible and enjoyable. So, yeah, I would recommend Lance Parkin. Oh, that is a great choice. That is three stunning choice. Thank you very much, gentlemen. (laughs) 
However, we are not here today to talk about Kate Orman or Paul Mars or Lars Parkin. We are here today to talk about Stephen Moffat's novelization of The Day of the Doctor. A choice that brought me out in hives. (laughs) (laughs) It seems appropriate, doesn't it, really? Mark, can I throw this to you straight away, please? Because I I want you to just very quickly um, tell us your love of the Stephen Moffat era, please. Well, uh, obviously, we come at the Stephen Moffat era from slightly different angles, it's fair to say. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed Russell T. Davis's take on the show. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in thinking that Moffat wrote a lot of the best stories in that era. And uh, I just love his creativity. I know some people find the uh, the intricacies a bit much sometimes when he decides to really go out there and create these crazy stories that are so weirdly interwoven. Um, unless you're paying attention, sometimes it can seem like gibberish, but I enjoy that. I enjoy TV that makes me actually use my brain and I have to concentrate. You must have had a terrible time during the Chris Chibnall era then. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I love it. <laughs> well, I think I... he brings a humour to it as well, which I, his, you know, I know it's not for everyone, I, I, but I just find his humour tickles me. Andrew, can I ask you, and I'm going to ask you, Luke, as well, just just very quickly what how you feel about that era, because this is basically Moffat distilled this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I like Stephen Moffat. Um, I think I'm quite basic in my taste and I like series five a lot um, and then kind of slowly kind of went off it a little bit as it went along, I think mainly because it often felt like it was promising something and building to something and then went in a different direction to what you were expecting, which I often found mm. frustrating. And it kind of felt sometimes like Stephen Moffat got bored of his own ideas and kind of changed direction partway through. Um, so yeah, um, mixed, mixed feelings. But I mean, the the best of Moffat is kind of the best of Doctor Who. Like mm. he's a great writer. He creates great stories, I think, but maybe it just didn't hang together as as well as I wanted it to. Luke? Uh, if it wasn't for Mark saying, hey, we should re- read this target novelization, I might not have bought it. It's not It's not to say I don't like Moffat. I just, I never finished his era. Uh, oh. It's the only era I haven't completely finished. I will, I'll get to it. I've seen all of Matt Smith, so I wasn't <laughs> confused reading this or anything like that. But uh, I, I, I like Matt Smith as the Doctor and uh, I like parts of that era. It did get a little... Mm-hmm convoluted for my brain so maybe i do need to have another look at it uh i got to the zygon inversion invasion and i uh i took a break and didn't get back to it so oh luke uh, you missed series 10 that's where it got really good (laughs) (laughs) i think although i'm a a moffat fanboy i would admit that uh for a while certainly in capaldi's era which i adore uh, it did feel as though he was very much writing for the fans rather than for the the mass audience, which I think was what had really made it so popular in Russell's time. I think he started off very much following that template, but then wanted to go down his own route, which I personally enjoyed, but it's fair to say it wasn't for everyone. <laughs> 
my um briefly my take on the Moffat era is like little uh, little Miss Muffet. When he was good, he was very, very good. And when he was bad, he was awful. And I kind of <laughs> swung, I swung two ways with him. And I do, I think really? what Andrew just said is very true, is that at his best, it's the best Doctor Who we've ever seen. Because I think a lot of the stuff he did during, during Rusty Davis's time is extraordinarily good. Mm. And then I think there are selected episodes throughout his era, World Enough of Time, Listen, Day mm. of the Doctor, uh, Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone, stuff like that, which is just peak Doctor Who. It honestly cannot be beaten in terms of like substance, emotion, ideas, creativity. It is, but then on the other hand, it can get incredibly indulgent. And as Andrew said again, a promise a ton and not deliver, mm. and and you can feel the weight of uh, uh, a genius shouldering two massive television shows mm. and not quite knowing what to do with either when he's doing them both yeah. at the same time. Joe, I'm shocked to hear you say you swing both ways. Well, there you go. <laughs> A revelation for our book club today. <laughs> <laughs> Only when it comes to Stephen Moffat. Now. Um, well, okay. So have you guys explored the new series targets beyond this book let's just touch that very quickly luke i've read the witch finders uh and i think i have kablam on the shelf I haven't got to it i'm a i'm a jody fan so i did get those so I, I, yeah they're, they're the only ones i've read of the brand new series targets andrew i've got my eye more though <laughs> um i had read this one before and i've read rose I'm trying to remember which other ones they've done. And if I, oh, I've read The Crimson Horror. So I kind of, I think I've gone for mainly the ones where it's like the TV writer adapting their own script rather than kind of someone mm. else doing their own spin on it. Hey, you, Mark? I've read Rose and I've got Twice Upon a Time on the shelf, but I've never got around to reading it, which I've, probably says a lot. I've done Dalek, The Witch Finders, Rose and Day of the Doctor so far. Um, mm. And the weird thing about those books is every single writer takes a different approach. Yeah. Rusty Davis takes his original script and goes, right, but if we had a Hollywood budget, how would this look? And then mm -hmm. writes that story and adds loads of character depth that isn't there. Yeah. Rob Shearman, I mean, guys, go and read Dalek. It is unbelievably good. He manages to give all of those incidental characters that you see throughout that episode these very disturbing, very funny backstories that you will never forget <laughs> there's a scene from the torturer's uh point of view uh from his childhood that is right. one of the most disturbing bits of prose i can't believe that's going out to kids if i'm honest <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got day of the doctor which it is giving you what's on the screen but it is giving you a hell of a lot more it's bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> so let's before we go into sort of the ins and outs What's your sort of overall sense of this book? And let's go to Mark first, because he's the big fan of the era. Okay. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. However, and I feel you are to blame, uh, because I've been reading some of these other 90s books, it has perhaps not been quite as exciting to read it this time around as it was on the initial read. Because now I've been spoiled by reading all these other books like Alien Bodies and and Lance Parkins books, but I I did I thoroughly enjoyed it and I love I think where the Target books are at their best is where they take the story 
and they embellish it and they add in all these extra little Easter eggs for you to enjoy that won't affect um, your reading of it if you're perhaps coming to the story for the first time, but it's just, it gives you that extra level if you've really enjoyed the TV version and you're getting this new prose version. How about you then, Andrew? Uh, yeah, so I love the TV version of Day of the Doctor. Um, this book, I like bits of it. I hate other bits of it. So it kind of feels like um, an <laughs> encapsulation the of the Moffat. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's like the most Moffaty Moffat work in existence. It kind of feels <laughs> like it's like if he'd never written any more Doctor Who, this would have been the last word in kind of Stephen Moffatness. Um, so yeah, it's got kind of everything that's really great about the Stephen Moffat era and everything that I personally don't like about it. So mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I look forward to digging into both directions there. <laughs> Luke? I, all right. I didn't finish his era, so I wasn't sure how I'd feel. I read this in three days, which is really good for me. So that's got to say something. I think the, the moment of this book where I was like, all right, you know what? I think I'm going to sit down and read this. I saw the word fits. I was like, he did the thing. <laughs> he, did me, he did me the fan service that I like. And, yeah. <laughs> and I wound up laughing and crying and just having a really good time. I enjoyed it. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm starting to wonder if I enjoyed this most out of the four of us because <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> love this. Do you know, oh, there, was, fantastic. there was one section where I just didn't like it because it was written from Kate Stewart's point of view. And mm. I don't think that character could possibly be interesting, <laughs> even in prose. I was just going, can we please get back to the doctors? She's so boring. <laughs> but apart from that, I just flew through this. What mm. surprised me was all the things that irritate me about this era, <laughs> Matt Smith, <laughs> the humour, it all worked in prose. It oh, all really it. came together in prose for me. Mm -hmm. So I was I was like, is it Matt Smith? Is it the way the characters are saying those jokes? Because on the page, I was laughing myself silly. Oh, I love Matt Smith. I know every, everyone <laughs> loves Matt Smith. New series <laughs> <laughs> everyone adores Matt Smith except me. It's a, a weird, a weird thing. Um, okay, well, where do we even start with this book? How did you think how did you think this was? interpreted as a book like let's go into how this book is how we're sort of guided through this book by a first person narrator who remains yeah. nameless mm -hmm. until almost the last page how did you find that andrew are we allowed spoilers can we say who it is absolutely yes <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah it's it's a very different experience of the story um, in book form um, because it's kind of presented um, as fragments of many different narratives combined together by the narrator who, um, spoiler, is the curator, so is the doctor. Um, and much of the book is kind of, well, it's all, of, a lot of the book is about authorship and identity um, and, um narrative and uh reliable reliable narrators versus unreliable narrators and deception and uh copies of people with zygons and all that stuff so it's really clever the way that it 
does all of that um, and kind of gives you another element of mystery, I guess, that um, adds another layer to the story. If you know it from TV, kind of piecing together where these different bits of the story come from, who's telling you the story kind of gives you another aspect to it, which makes it kind of more rewarding than just being a straight um, adaptation. Um, and yeah, but that comes along with kind of lots of, yeah, quirks and interesting <laughs> things. Meta, I, I a lot of meta I'm jokes, sure, isn't I'm there? sure others have things to say about it as well. There was one bit, right, where um, he goes, oh, I'm sure you've all got an opinion. Why don't you go online and write a review about it? And I was going, <laughs> oh, Moffy, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think then, Luke? How, how did you feel about sort of how you were guided through this book or the structure of it? All right. It was about halfway through this book where I decided, wait a minute, is there even a chapter nine? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the best part uh, of the book, I thought, chapter nine. Oh, I loved <laughs> yeah. it. And I was like, why isn't there a chapter nine? It promises to answer all my questions. Why is the doctor's granddaughter named Susan? And unit dating. Oh, nice. That's that's it's really nice. But so cheeky, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no chapter nine because well, the ninth doctor is Christopher Eccleston and he's not part of this. Uh, he didn't want to do this story, so he's not here. Another thing for me is usually when a book spends this much time inside the doctor's mind and his thought processes, I'm like, it, I, this is a bit of a no-no for me. Hmm. I don't think I had that feeling too much reading this and that surprised me. I just found it really engaging and sharp, so I liked it. Mark? Yeah, I... Well, I have to mirror what the other guys have said. Um, I like the way that you're, it's given to you in a sort of non-chronological order. So you start on chapter eight, because that's the Night of the Doctor, which I think is just beautifully realised. Uh, Are you talking in prose now or the actual episode? In, oh, both. Both. Oh, but uh, it was the highlight love, of the anniversary, wasn't it? I so love Paul McGann back. So good. So good. I love the bit where he says how uh, O'Hilla had a a cup with some lemonade and some uh, <laughs> some dry ice, so there was no elixir in there at all, which I found quite funny. It just been tricked into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I really enjoy it. I I just think it's um, it keeps it fresh as well. So it's obviously because it's such a generally, I think it's a fair to say it's a quite a beloved story. Um, you're going to be very familiar with it. So it's nice that it's kind of structured in a slightly different way so that you're not, it doesn't feel like a trudge going through it. You're like, because you know it so well, you're not sort of sitting there going, oh God, yeah, and then now it's going to be this bit. It's, I like it. I think he did a really good job of uh, keeping it interesting. I thought that it was such a dense script, what hit the screen. The only way you could possibly, because it flits about all over the place, is have someone yeah. hold your hand and say, right, we're going here now. Now we're going here. This is going to make sense. Pay attention to this bit because that <laughs> bit, will, you know, and, and so someone's sort of guiding you through the whole thing because you haven't got the visuals and all of that. And it yeah. is very scattershot in its approach. Mm -hmm. I mean, it all locks together in a really satisfying way. But I was just like, oh, yeah, thank God there's somebody here sort of helping me out <laughs> through all this madness. Okay, well then, the next question I want to ask you guys is which Doctor, like, translated best into print? 
Who is your favorite? And let's send that across to Andrew. Um, he, he looks like he's pondering the most. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to go maybe left field and say the curator, um, because mm-hmm. he's probably the doctor we know the least about coming into this. Um, so, yeah, he's a, he's a side of the doctor, which the TV show hasn't really explored very much, but he is our narrator in this book. And it kind of gives you more insight into his character and what he does and how he, and that he's very much is the doctor. <laughs> he's the retired doctor. Um, so yeah, I think he's the, he's maybe the one you come away from, from it getting more, more insight into. Luke? I'm tempted to say the eight, that's my bias showing again, but I really liked getting into the war doctor's head a bit and his thought processes and just Mm. kind of his his shame and his emotions and just, and then, you know, that scene where they're doing the prison thing, but you get it from three different perspectives. Mm. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, I have to deal with this in it. Best chapter in this entire Mm -hmm. book. Yeah. I'm going to have to deal with this in another few centuries. And then you see, you feel the emotion from all three and how they react to the war doctor in that moment. In, in kind of two diff- completely different ways, but they're both very similar as well. There, that that was just to see that kind of insight into that how they feel about the war doctor and everything like that. Just really how, to apparently, how to come to terms with your troublesome past is for three versions of yourself to be in the same room together <laughs> having a conversation. Group therapy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> how about you, though, Mark? Oh blimey! Thing is, because I'm old. And uh, I finished this quite a few days ago. I'm trying to remember which Doctor was which in certain scenes. And there's a really beautiful scene with um, the Brigadier at the care home. And I can't remember which Doctor it was. Was it the 11th? The 11th Doctor? Oh, I can't remember either. I only finished it this morning. Because he lets Kate think that he never bothered to go and see him. He's he's there the whole time, He went every day, yeah, yeah. That was so beautifully written. It is. And I always felt like with the Brigadier, that that bit in the Wedding of River Song, was it Wedding of mm-hmm. River Song? It just felt dropped in and a bit pointless. And I know they were trying to acknowledge the fact that he died, but the way this fleshed that out, mm-hmm. it was almost like he'd look, because this obviously is written after he's chipped out. The yeah. He's, and he's like, okay, I could actually take those things that I wasn't happy with. For example, the end of the book where all those Dalek ships are surrounding the planet and that every single Dalek ship shoots every other Dalek ship. Where I was always going, oh, please, really? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, no, it creates an enormous supernova, which destroys them all. I'll go, there you go. He did the terror sticks things. He fixed it with <laughs> yeah. a line, you know? <laughs> I did think he was doing a bit of repair work or just like, a, you know, I could have explained that a bit better. Mm. Go on. I was just going to say, he's just tightening things up. That's what the uh, target's for, just to tighten up all the little things that you couldn't get right when you you made the TV story. I've got to say, and I don't want you punching the air, Mark Cockrum, but I thought the 11th Doctor came across in print so brilliantly in this novel. The way he's so awkward and gangly in all those ways that annoy me on the screen. (laughs) The way he described it as he just sort of can't hold himself properly. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. And the bit at the end where he's made the decision to save Gallifrey and all of this. And it says he went mm. to straighten his tie and he realized it's the straightest it's ever been in his entire life. <laughs> I was like, oh, that is perfect. 
perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Should this be a target novel? That's a question I want to ask because this is taking enormous ideas and trying to boil it down into what is essentially, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how many pages this is, 180, something like that. Yeah, Can I say something really controversial? Go on. <laughs> I don't think any of them should be target novel. <gasps> Explain think, yourself. I think <laughs> Doctor Who Publishing has gone into this really weird, like, backwards looking nostalgic phase and it's like these these would have mass appeal to kind of casual audiences i think um in that they're new modern adaptations of doctor who stories but they kind of get packaged up like like even if <laughs> you have to be quite hardcore into doctor who to know what a target novelization is yeah um, and the kind of size format of them the page count Chris Achilles like, artwork. The, I, I mean, I the cut the cover artwork is beautiful, and obviously, yeah. like that's it's in my bones as a Doctor Who fan. I love this style, mm -hmm. but I kind of feel like maybe they should do like the the deluxe fan versions, and then they should be like a kind of mass audience version. And I, yeah, like just let the books be what they need to be, rather than conforming to this kind of target. What a, what a target has to be, mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, I sort of going the other direction. I'm really sad that there isn't a target for every single bloody episode, you know. <laughs> but that's only because I'm a mad scientist. Well, um, what did you think then, Luke? Do you think this suited that format, that sort of scaled-down target book format, this story? I don't think I've ever read a target book quite like this. Uh, <laughs> that's because the no right one like this. <laughs> no one's getting escaped or captured or escaped again or anything like that, but you get in a Terrence Dix novelization. Are I... you mad? There's plenty of escape and capture going on in this. <laughs> but not chapter titled titles or something like that. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually glad this is a book because if it wasn't a book, then Mark couldn't have said, hey, we should read this. And I wouldn't have given anything Moffat had done, like an actual critical eye and another look and just realised, hey, uh, being so grumpy about his era, there's there's some really <laughs> great stuff in there. So I'm actually glad that this is a target novel, this one specifically. I, I found personally that when you're in the era watching it, you get sometimes quite het up about certain things that when you go back to it in retrospect, you do find later, actually, why was I getting so cross about that? <laughs> Frequently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like It's interesting that we did Alien Bodies first mm. and then this, because I saw a lot of similarities in the two books. There's so many yeah. ideas in both books. Mm, yeah. Both of them involve big twists around the Doctor, both of them involve a, a time war to be and a time war that's gone. Mm. Um, both of them are juggling, you know, 500 ideas, things like that. I felt like Alien Bodies had time to breathe. It's nearly 300 pages long and it didn't feel like it was always... I, I feel like this novel's got ADHD, you know? It's like, look over there, look over there, look over there, look at there, look at there. But like, you're never bored because there's so much happening all the time. Yeah, And, and because it is ultimately a very well-structured piece of fiction. But I, you know, I kept thinking to myself, I wish this was 300 pages long. I wish this had more time, even mm. more time to sort of breathe and to tell these scenes in a longer way, to get inside these characters' heads more. Even though I think he did a bloody good job with, with what he had, 
Yeah. Like it's a tough, it's a tough ask to take mm. possibly the densest Doctor Who script. And how many pages is this? Because I had the ebook. <laughs> uh, I've got it in front of me. It's oh, thank 232 you pages. Oh, see, that's the quite long. It's a bit it? smaller than the others. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's quite long for a target book, and it needs it as well. All right, Andrew, I'm going to ask you specifically then. <laughs> what did you not enjoy about this book? What did I not enjoy? Um, there's there's lots of kind of there's lots of bits which are like, I find this a lot with Stephen Moffat stuff, where it's like, it's a joke, you laugh at the joke, but then you think about the joke and it's just annoying. <laughs> like <laughs> like um, the the kind of implication that with the Doctor papers that, um, you know, they're all written in the third person, but it's the Doctor writing it. Um, and it's kind of this like implication that maybe the whole of every single Doctor Who book you've ever read is actually written by the Doctor. And it's like, oh, that's just a bit stupid. <laughs> um, and like the black and white thing, oh, <laughs> it's a bit oh, in the book. Funny. There's a bit in the book. It's it's just a joke. It is just a joke. Yeah. But it's like um, the Doctor realizes that um, for his first two incarnations, he was seeing the world in black and white, and he was colorblind, and he didn't realize it. And it's like <laughs> oh, it's like a metatextual joke about black and white, but it's just annoying. Uh, um, and not, I hate as being... not as bad as that Peter Cushing joke. I was going, oh, I for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the superficial bits that I don't like, but there's kind of Stephen Moffat's version of the Doctor. There's bits of it that I just really don't like, and the main thing I don't like is the kind of, oh, the Doctor is just some bloke and he just, you know, he fancies all the companions, but he just kind of pretends to be this nice grandfather figures, but actually he just wants to shag them all. And like, <laughs> that's that's a big part of the Moffat era. There's, yeah, and I just don't like it. And I don't like it in here. And there's like all these kind of bits where the where the War Doctor is looking at Clara and it's, ugh, it's, it's just, ugh, I don't like it. I think that's more Moffat though, rather than Moffat's Doctor. Because oh, I think like, you're right. you look at <laughs> you look at McGillop in this. You know, he's fixated on Osgood's bottom. Yeah, <laughs> numerous times. I've um, said it before, so yeah, and I'll it's... say it again. If we'd only have a good wank before writing a script <laughs> or a novel, <laughs> we have all that stuff removed. Sorry, Luke. I see you look quite shocked there. <laughs> you clearly don't listen to too many episodes of this thing. Do you know? <laughs> And I think that the thing for me was like part of the appeal of the character of the Doctor when I was a kid, when I first got into Doctor Two, was that he was very different to the other heroes you saw out there. Yeah. And, you know, as a young queer kid before I knew I was a queer kid, seeing a character who was just um, like the Doctor companion relationship has always been quite important to me. And that seeing that kind of platonic friendship where they were just mm -hmm. friends and Throughout the classic series, he's just friends with the companions. He just likes them. They just like each other and they go off and have adventures. And that's a dynamic that you don't really see that often in any media. So that's always been quite special to me. And obviously that's mm -hmm. something that's kind of gone out of gone out of Doctor Who with the new series. And I just kind of have to get over. But the Moffat era is where it most kind of leans into just the Doctor wants to shag the companions. <laughs> and he's oh. pretending that he doesn't. I will say I, that I do know somebody who was brought up on New Who and then has explored Classic Who afterwards. Uh, so he's obviously a lot younger than me. And he loves 
that element of New Who. And when Jodie Whittaker came along and was completely sexless for her entire era, he really felt... So I think there is a portion of the audience that loves this stuff, you know, mm. uh, looking at Scar Clara's short skirt and stuff like that. I'm with you. I don't know where you fall with this, Mark, actually. Well, I do rather love Clara, so... Uh... <laughs> Fair enough. She's very pretty. <laughs> yes, yeah, she is. She is. Um, I feel like... I do have to defend Moffat slightly. I, I totally take on board Andrew's points and, you know, that's yeah perfectly well argued. I do feel in his defence that his portrayal of the Doctor, I find better in some ways compared to RTD because with RTD, as the series went on, you, it became the lonely god and he became this sort of, you know, omnipotent being and all-knowing and everything and oh, the it drama just gets a bit, of it all yeah, oh, it just gets a bit much doesn't it <laughs> whereas i prefer i suppose because i was brought up on tom baker i prefer the kind of buffoon that wanders into the situation and he's got the smarts to sort it out but he doesn't really know what he's doing and i prefer that yeah madman with the books like yeah exactly i, I loved that aspect of Mass yeah Mithura. that's why i love capaldi you know because yeah. then he came in and it was all the quirks without the sex until River Song came back, of course, but you know, yeah, never mind. Luke, sex in Doctor Who, yay or nay? Uh, sometimes. I am. I am with Andrew. Uh, I kind of like that platonic friendship stuff. I don't know why it just. I don't know why it just worked for me. It just, it just did. So I found. I always found the new series a little jarring when I first saw it. That, that was going in that direction because I was like, well, that's not like the old stuff, but they're not trying to be the old stuff. So I don't, I don't know. I don't mind. But then you got Leela in the loincloth and I'm just like, well, I understand, Doctor. That's fine. As your favourite McGowan kind of that started look. it all. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. He's he Daphne Ashbrook up against a tree. Exactly. Yeah. He never yeah. looked back after that, did he? <laughs> yeah. oh, he just regenerated. He wasn't thinking right. Oh, no, he yeah, was. He enough. was. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of doctors have used that as an excuse, you know. Um, <laughs> I actually thought, reading this, I thought the sexual tone was toned down from the TV version. So all mm -hmm. those sequences with David Tennant and Elizabeth. Sorry, David Tennant, the Doctor and Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it was all made perfectly clear that he's hunting a Zygon like the whole time. Whereas as it mm. played out on the thing, it was all a bit kinky and a bit naughty with lots of rude lines. Um, so again, I think in prose, it was less offensive to me because I, I feel kind of the same way about the, the sex in Doctor Who or some of it anyway. Mm. Um, I don't mind it when it leans into romance, but I don't really like it when it leans into sleaze. I, I ain't too often. Mm. <laughs> Well, I didn't really object to that here. Okay, so then we've talked about what Andrew didn't like about this. <laughs> Luke, what did you love about this book? All right. I know it's just four letters, and it's the arrangement of them that was very pleasing to me. I Fitz, I like seeing Fitz being mentioned. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I love that as well. <laughs> but the, the... See, there, Hang on, that's one word. That can't have yeah, been the only thing you liked about this book. <laughs> <laughs> so after this, put it into context for me. After I read this book, I uh, liked what uh, both uh, you, Joe, and Andrew said about the Tomorrow Windows. So I read that, and now I'm halfway through the Sleep of Reason, the next book, and it put me 
it, it made me appreciate Moffat's Eighth Doctor a lot more because now it's fresh in my mind those characterizations, and I thought he he nailed it in a completely mm. kind of different way. It felt like the Eighth Doctor. It felt like the one with no memory. It felt like the one on audio. It just felt like a dis- dis- distillation of him. This is him at the the final point of his life. I loved his characterization. I thought it was great. If you think about it, he he's obviously a huge fan. So I know there's certainly photos of him as a kid reading Target books, and I'm I'd be very surprised if he wasn't reading those '90s novelizations as well. So you not hear about all that? this time about that fabulous meetup they had when Big Finish got Paul uh, Paul McGann. Did you hear about that? Oh yeah. And, and they yeah. had a meetup before that happened, mm-hmm. and Stephen Moffat was invited to the meeting, and then they're like, "We're going to be doing Doctor Who audios, you know, classic Doctors." Blah, blah, blah. And he absolutely was convinced he was going to be right for Paul McGann, but we haven't got Paul McGann. And he went right. That's it. I'm off. And he just left the party. <laughs> he didn't care. So he clearly loves yeah. him. <laughs> but he's had forty odd years to write this book. Uh, or you know to think about what he'd like to put into a book like this and i think uh it's just a joy to read well you say it's a joy to read then now we're going to come over to you and uh you're going to let us know something you loved and something you did not love about this book oh blimey um i did not love the idea of coming on here and trying to compete with you guys because you're so well read and you know all the books and <laughs> uh so that was slightly worrying um i just she... enjoyed all of it <laughs> i just enjoyed all of it it was so much fun um it's very cheeky the way it's written um i like the uh the way it kind of tries to wrong foot you into thinking it's one author when it's another and I just love all the little set pieces there because I enjoy the the televised version so much. It's just another way of reliving it, um, but it gives it a whole new kind of twist. I've got to say, the one thing I really, really loved in this book was his chance to give all of the classic Doctors a bigger slice of the pie in the climax. Yes. So yes. instead of just having a quick second of Colin Baker on the screen, he's coming out of a mine holding a load of kids and Tom Baker's scarf, yeah. saving a load of people. Yeah. And I just thought that that's what he would have done if he, you know, had CGI mm-hmm. and did that sort of Star Wars things. I mean, you know, yeah. and of course he's got the benefit of being able to put Jodie in it as well. Yeah. Which he couldn't have known back at the time. <laughs> yeah. That, that whole chapter, um, it's called, it's chapter seven day of the doctor. Um, that's mm. the bit where all the doctors come together and kind of save Gallifrey and you get all these kind of little vignettes of them helping people from crashing boats and yeah, um, scaling okay. cliffs, abseiling a cliff down his scarf. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like, it's just like a really beautiful Doctor Who moment. I think in the way that, I guess it's kind of replacing the bit at the end of the um, Day of the Doctors where you see them all lined up. This is yeah. kind of putting them all into a chapter together and kind of elaborating on that moment. And it's just... Like as like I said, uh, it's kind of got the, like the best of Stephen Moffat and the worst of Stephen Moffat. The book, this book, and that chapter is definitely some of the best. And it has a really beautiful section where the Doctor kind of talks about his redemption that he feels through um, through saving Gallifrey. Um, and it's kind of it's different to the speech at the end of the t- TV version, so you kind of get something different from it. It's it's in, I, I think you'd read it in the War Doctor's voice and it's just, um, yeah, it's beautiful. There was mm. three words, I think it was at the end of that chapter, where 
he goes, Doctor once more. And I was like, punching the yeah. air. I was like, yes, come on, <laughs> John Hurt. Off you go. Oh, man, this is such a such a great book. Well, well, where do we go from here? Oh, you've all gone quiet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Of> course. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Day of the Doctor as a as a story in its own right. And I'm kind of including the episode here because obviously this is a novelization of the episode. Mm. What is so special about this story? And why did it deserve the novelization treatment? Mark. Okay, well, I'm sure because we're all nerds, we know the whole backstory of what Moffat was up against when he came to write this thing. And the fact that he only had Jenna Coleman signed up to a contract before nailing it all down and uh, coming very close to getting Christopher Eccleston to come back and then having to hire John Hurt at a very, very late stage in, in the game and to have pulled it off with such a plum. And it must have been such a pressured situation. You imagine it's being simulcast across the world to millions and millions of people. And this is the one big story that everyone is going to be talking about for years and years to come. Um, I mean, admittedly, we did have the after show, so you know it wasn't all. Perfect, <laughs> <was> there? Jesus <laughs> Christ! Do you remember Moffat's face when it all those? Yeah, he uh, just had his head in his hand. Oh, so funny! Nice. Get so me out funny. of here! I'm surprised he didn't look... put a little uh, reference to that in there somewhere. But uh, I don't yeah. think I've ever seen anyone look more pained in a television. Oh, <laughs> it's so funny! It's so funny! It's on YouTube, I think. It's great. Uh, if you've not experienced it, it really is something else. It turns up in, you know, that Twitter account, crazy ass moments in Doctor Who. Just yeah. that picture of his face. Mm. <laughs> in that yeah. Studio. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, That's sorry. It. Please continue. Uh, it's just such a celebration of the show, isn't it? It does so many clever things. It, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily always a fan of retconning, but it does it in such a really deft way. The whole way it ties up the um, time war but it doesn't affect what's gone before because obviously it's been set up in previous multi-doctor stories that they're not going to remember what happened. So Christopher Eccleston still believes he's killed them all. And it's just so beautifully put together. And it's just got all the things that I really love about Moffat who in it. Luke. So <clears throat> I think he writes books the way he write, he works for TV because this is a really fast-paced kind of manic book. But mm -hmm. I feel like it's, he also gives himself a, a little bit of a chance to breathe with this and just expand on stuff, just to take his time a little more, except maybe towards the end where it's just like, all right, we got to wrap this up now for the page count or something. It, I feel like they're not rushed, but it just ended. Oh, it's over. Maybe that's just me because like you, Joe, I wish there was maybe another 100 pages. You were loving yeah. it so much, yeah. <laughs> I feel like as someone who was a bit down on Stephen Moffat's era, that the fact that that's how I feel about this book, that's a credit to the to the man's writing and uh, just every, everything he did in it. So, yeah, no. Uh, were you keen on the episode as well? Yes. Uh, all right. So one of my big weaknesses in Doctor Who is multi-Doctor stories. I don't care if it's good or bad. <laughs> oh, if you don't mind it's bad, then I'll suggest you subscribe to Big Finish immediately. Because I do one every other week, all right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I like the gates of hell though. Sorry, five and ten. That's just that's that's my thing. I love that. Uh that that's that's for another time though. But yeah, no. Uh 
I love the book and I, it makes me want to experience some uh, some Moffat and, ne- and unlike you gentlemen, I have some Moffat I've never seen before, so I get to watch it for the first time. You lucky thing. You get to watch Oxygen Extremist, World Enough oh, in Time. World Enough in Time. You oh. bastard, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> what about you then, Andrew? Day of the Doctor, sort of the, the story of Day of the Doctor. Yeah, I I absolutely love the TV version. I think it's one of the best Doctor Who episodes of all time. Um, and like Mark was saying, just the way it kind of takes the Doctor's biggest defeat and turns it into a triumph um, and does it in a way that has so much emotional heft to it. Um, and I saw it at the cinema when they did the broadcast oh, and wow. like so many people came out in tears. <laughs> it was just such a lovely kind of um, communal moment to see it. Um, so yeah, I absolutely adore the TV version. The book, I feel like it doesn't add to my enjoyment of the TV version. It kind of puts more elements into it that great for me. Um, so it doesn't really add layers to the story that make it more enjoyable for me. It kind of detracts from it a little bit. Um, you know, like we were talking about the lemonade moment where yeah. you kind of like Moffat uh, <laughs> um, kind of undermined the drama of his own moment that was always going to go one or two ways (laughs) which some people i know will love but for me it like cuts the drama of that moment and (laughs) it just yeah just i just find it a little bit annoying um so yeah for me the the tv version is the kind of definitive and this is a interesting side note which has some some fun additional bits to it but also some irritating bits what he managed to achieve with the 50th anniversary is nothing short of a miracle because the weight of expectation that that episode had and the fact that once it aired so many people like i think that you could count the detractors in the thousands of hundreds of thousands of doctor who fans on one hand probably yeah the fact that he you know that it wasn't an enormous disappointment to everybody especially what you said mark about where where he started one um, contract yeah yeah um, what I thought was so impressive as well was he got the most phenomenal actor in John Hurt in, yes. and oh. instead of just making that, you know, oh well, we've got this celebrity actor, he he kind of pivoted the story around him, gave him mm. a ton of like really emotional stuff to do. Like yeah. he earned he earned his crust throughout this episode, and mm. you go on that journey with him as much as anybody without shortchanging all the other doctors and no. clara and osgood and kate stewart and the zygon subplot and all this other stuff that's going on God, i just think it was an extraordinary achievement and I, I actually think reading the book because i know the story so well i actually could just let the plot wash over me and yeah. just enjoy the extras and so that's what i was taking from this all, all of these extra bits although i've got to admit that bit with the carp yeah that... <laughs> 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 he knows he knows that's gonna piss people off oh, yeah he's like he's the ultimate troll he knows exactly <laughs> how to push fans buttons what is so, it again it's like, i know he's doing it and i know exactly uh... why he's doing it but it's still great and it's like oh I guess that's, you know, he's a great writer. It's <laughs> like, you remember every interview he, he said about any episode coming out and you everyone was just going, don't listen to him. Stephen Moffat lies. You know, like, <laughs> no, we're not going to have the master back in uh, World Enough Time when the Doctor Falls. Hang on a minute. What's that trailer all about? You know, mm. he was a very bad man. <laughs> oh, okay, so away from the sort of the celebration of Doctor Who, 
what about the Zygons then? Because they take up a lot of this book. In fact, I felt as if they took up more of the book than the TV episode. Mm-hmm. And when I watched the TV episode, I was like, well, that's fun to have the Zygons back, but it's kind of just distracting me from the weight of what's going on here. How do you feel about that whole subplot? Because there's there's like a whole sequence, isn't it, where we don't know who's who. It's like you said, that whole identity thing of like, who the hell point of view am I looking at here? And sometimes we switch within the same sort of scene. Mm, yeah. How did you find all of that then, Andrew? Um, I think it's really clever. Um, and it kind of, the Diagon story parallels the Gallifrey story. Um, and then all the kind of, identity stuff kind of parallels the doctor authorship stuff in the book um and you kind of get the bit where it's from kate's perspective but as the chapter goes on it's actually from the zygon copy of kate's perspective you get the osgood chapter where Mm -hmm. again it's which version i I think it's the real osgood but it's all that kind of yeah uh, yeah it's it's very it's very clever and i think the story wouldn't work without that element because you kind of need that that half of the story to kind of inspire the doctor saving Gallifrey. So it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's all a very clever constructed story. Um, and the Zygons with their kind of shifting identities are a really good, um, particularly for the novel version, they're a really good adversary to have because they have this kind of parallel to the way the narrative is being told in their shifting identities. Plus, you don't have to look at those terrible rubbery costumes either, do you? <laughs> oh, what were they thinking? How about you then, Mark? Um, I think it was just a, a chance to bring back a monster that a lot of old Who fans really venerated and thought was one of the best monsters ever. So to bring it back, I got a feeling David Tennant may have had some <laughs> sort of influence on this because he, he was saying that was his monster that he really wanted to bring back. I think because... Now that in the UK on iPlayer, they've just chucked everything on there. And I was watching the the um, Confidential for Blink and he's chatting with Moffat and they're talking about what scared them and what were the best monsters. And he says the Zygons. So whether that kind of got him thinking, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I think it does. It sets up, as Andrew was saying, it sets up the whole thing with the way that they eventually come up with a plan to save Gallifrey, you know, you've gone through it. And again, it's mirrored in things like the, when they're stuck in the cell and they're trying to figure out how to open the door. And you've got the whole thing about the, the sonic screwdriver. It's the same device, but with a different casing. And then obviously that reflects on the doctors as well. They're the same guy, but with a different aspect. So yeah, I thought it worked really well. It's still funny in prose when she comes in the door, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 400 years you never thought of trying the door come on <laughs> Luke Zygons I love Terror of the Zygons uh, is there anyone who doesn't I'm, I'm sure someone anyone here finds... that doesn't no? I love it yeah it's it's amazing so I love that story so it was good to see them especially for an anniversary story so a lot of people are going to be interested in an anniversary story more than say the everyday story so that's more eyes on the Zygons I'm happy yeah. with that. I tend to find Osgood on the telly cringy because, uh, like, in prose, 
yeah, sure, they describe what she's wearing, but I can just ignore that and be like, all right, I'm just going to take the character as a person <laughs> and let's go for it. And, but every time I see her, she's got Sylvester's uh, sweater, Jumper, and yeah. vest and everything, and I'm just like, I know she's supposed to be the fans and sort of stuff, but I don't want to watch me Doctor Who. It's kind of weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a little cringy, but I'm more, I'd be more like Tegan anyway, just complaining the whole time. But <laughs> <laughs> But I did like her sections where it, she's having kind of an identity crisis. Is this, am mm. I the Mimi or is this that one? Or am I the Zygon? I really liked yeah. the, the portions where they get into her head. So that's another thing in the book where on screen I see her and I'm like, cringe. But I read it in the book and I'm like, I, I've really enjoyed it. It kind of works for me. I couldn't believe how astonishing um, Queen, oh God. I need to get this right. I can't remember her name now. Is it Queen Anne? No, Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth? Elizabeth the first. <laughs> Thank yeah. God, sorry. Queen Elizabeth the first. How bearable she was when she isn't played by Stacey from Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> she came across as a formidable character in print, mm. which I didn't quite get on the TV episode sometimes. <laughs> um, what I thought was super clever in both the TV and in this, and, and how well it was explored in this, was how the element of the Zygons going into the painting lent into the climax yeah. of the story yeah you don't realize that that is how he's going to ultimately save the day mm -hmm. and then the sequence where the three of them are in the tower and the idea is going from one to the other that's introducing the idea of you know you can do this thing over time so that sets yeah. up the calculations in the climax and i'm just like it's one of those times where i'm just like fuck me he's a clever man like, he's yeah. such a he plots so cleverly at his best Mm -hmm. And you don't even realise that he's introducing all these ideas that are going to lock yeah. together at the end. It's just so... And it feels like it's just like a comedy subplot, but it's so important to the plot. Yeah, it's crazily good. And that's why he's my favourite. And I know there are some episodes that aren't as good, but it's worth those to get episodes like this. Indeed. You didn't think we were going to be so in a call, did you? I know, I know, Joe. I'm... Astonishing, isn't it? Um, well, look, let's <laughs> let's round off Day of the Doctor then. But I want to ask you all if there's anything we haven't covered, say your piece now, because I'm sure. I mean, I took notes. There's about 15 things I haven't covered, but um, <laughs> I'd like you to sort of give an overview of what you thought of this. Also, just highlight one chapter that you thought worked particularly well and why. So, say say somebody hasn't got time to read the whole book but they're just going to pull out one chapter and read it. And everyone's looking scared. So I'm going to throw nine. this over to <laughs> nine. Chapter nine. But uh, no, uh, yeah. I'm probably going to steal Andrew's here, but I, I was set seven because I feel like everyone's seen this, the story. They've seen all the different TARDISes with all the different doctors going around Gallifrey, but to, to watch or read all the doctors actually getting out of the TARDIS and saving people and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'd say, I think that's chapter seven. Is that right? Day of the Doctor. Yeah. Thank you, yes. Andrew. Uh, yeah. Yes. That one, uh, for sure. Uh, you thought I was going to say Night of the Doctor, didn't you? But no. <laughs> I actually did. Yeah, I really did. <laughs> is there anything else that we haven't covered though, within the book itself that you want to talk about? Luke? Oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we've uh, hit upon all my notes. I, I just want to say, I didn't expect to. I, I expected it to be readable. I didn't expect to kind of love it and 
I'm very happy about that. How about let's go to Mark Lars. So how about Andrew? Yeah, I think I've already probably said enough about chapter seven, but yeah, chapter seven, I think is is where it's at if you're going to read one chapter of this. Um, I think it also probably like comes out as quite a nice extract in itself as a as a nice piece of writing and a and a beautiful little chunk of Doctor Who. Um things that we haven't spoken about um the robot clown oh i was gonna mention that oh. <laughs> the robot clown is kind of yeah it's so an invention good. just of the book where yeah. again it's this clever moffaty thing where it's kind of an offhand mention in an early chapter and then you kind of get more mentions and you're like oh what what's going on with this clown <laughs> and then the kind of clown becomes more of a it's quite an important part of the story and that it kind of explains an aspect of the tv version um it's a, i think it's one of those ones where it's again moffat going back to rewrite his own work and kind of explain that part of the story where the doctor has forgotten how many children um died on gallifrey and work it into quite an emotional story which involves river song and this robot clown that can erase painful memories oh, so beautifully done yeah and then at the end it comes back again and links into yes. Cat. So, yeah, I thought that was a really nice extra bit of the story, which when you first come across it in the book, you're just like, well, what's that about? And then yeah, it, that's weird. it kind of blossoms into something really nice. Mm. Mark. Well, these two bastards have stolen the two things <laughs> that I was going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought it was a nice touch that um, Jodie's doctor got to see Cass yeah. and have that moment where they actually did have a connection there and she didn't hate the doctor so i thought that was kind of a nice moment to have her represented in the story and also just as a, a bit of sort of closure on that the, what is effectively the start of the story um but yeah i just it's if you haven't read it and you like day of the doctor i think you would have so much fun reading this Perhaps you gentlemen could educate me as to what this chapter is, because I've completely forgotten and I don't have a copy of the book in front of me. But it is the chapter where they're all in the tower. I thought that was the best chapter in this whole book because it takes mm. a scene on the television episode that is very good and makes it fucking sublime. Like the the the, the smarts in that as we go from one point of view to another and have the mm. same sequence take place which is an mm. old trope in fiction and telly and just yeah. to do so many clever things with it to come to that conclusion and then still have that bloody joke at the end yeah i just <laughs> they have thought a that was... right don't they and they they show it from all three of their perspectives and it's got a different take each time that you go through that scene again so clever you know you know what i feel about stephen moffat i'll look for things not to like <laughs> and the fact that i thought this was so extraordinarily clever was really irritating me as i was reading it <laughs> <laughs> this is so good it's so bloody annoying um the only other thing i really wanted to say was i thought it was very clever there was a point where he managed to collect connect what had come so within one paragraph he talks about um, the doctor meeting Rose and having an uneasy feeling about meeting Rose because mm. of um, the John Hurt doctor meeting the, the moment. The moment, thank yeah. you. <laughs> but also the moment at the end of Partner of the Ways when he says, oh, "I'm a coward and proud of it," and that connects mm. this as well. 
and then the fear makes companions of all of us, which hasn't yeah. even happened yet. That's no, gonna, yeah. and it's all within the same. And that's another thing that Moffat just does. He can pull it all mm. in and mm. have it make sense. And this story impacts all of those things. So it's like adding extra layers to all this stuff that we've seen yeah. and all this stuff that we're gonna see. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's such a clever bloke. I just, I just couldn't believe how entertaining this was to read. I don't think there's another Target book quite like it. I do wish it was longer, and I do wish we had a bit more time to explore some of this stuff, like the Time War, which I think is mm. potentially really interesting. But what we get in prose is what we got on the screen. It's the yeah. most boring example. Of- <laughs> She's Daleks and Time Lords going boo 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 like Star Wars. Which, you know, we we heard all this stuff from Rusty Davis about, you know, the armies of have-beens and never-wers and mm. the nightmare child and all this sort of Cartmel-esque, ambiguous stuff that is so too, too you know, extraordinary to even imagine. And what it actually turned out to be was a sequence from Star Wars, <laughs> which is a shame. But I think the books would have been the best medium to do that in. Um, I know that Big Finish have made about 50 million have you heard them? Sets now. No, I'm not really interested in it because, as you say, it's just shooty shooty Dalek stuff. Um, whereas, yeah, you need something a bit, bit more like the faction paradox arc yeah. that we were talking about last time, mm, where it's this yeah. kind of rewriting of history in different strands and massive budget and more about ideas than big battles. Yeah, I mean, they certainly put the money on the screen. Those sequences were extraordinary of Daleks attacking and flying mm, through yeah. cities and all of that. But, but yeah, what a astonishing book! Like, so there you go, Mark. Stick that in your pipe I'm and smoke so, it. All right. <laughs> I'm so pleased that you enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I was I was slightly dreading your reaction, but I'm so happy. <clears throat> um. Well. Boys, thank you very much for that. I mean, I, I think there's sort of been some mixed opinions, but generally positive mm. about Day of the Doctor. <laughs> now we're going to move on to my favourite part of any episode, and that is the recommends, because I never know what's coming next. Uh, and I'd like to start with Luke. All right, so... I like a bit of Tom Baker and Leela. And so I've got uh, science fiction here by Chris Boucher. So if you've read Last Man Running, you thought, "Eh, that's a bit of a runaround. And if you read Corpse Marker, his sequel to Robots of Death, and thought that I was a little uninspired, I would say give him a third chance with science fiction. So uh, I feel like he he gets better each time. So I, I haven't got Match of the Day yet. I'm I'll get that soon, but science fiction was just a surprisingly really good psychological kind of scary story. It even he even manages to make Leela absolutely terrified, and it just works because that's, she's not a character you see fearful very often. So just to get into her mind as she's uh, just literally running from the dark in, in one scene is just just really incredible, uh, and. Tom's doctor, he he feels like there's some kind of manipulation going on. So he's kind of, but he's been manipulated too. So he's in character, but he's kind of out of character at the same time. It, it's really well done. And there's some really good side characters as well. So yeah, science fiction. I'll never forget when I read that. And I was like, he, this fella has read some Stephen King in his life. Yes. I swear it's even set in Maine or somewhere like that, isn't oh, it? That's all the recommendation so, I need. 
It, it reads very like a Stephen King book. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great one. Okay, Andrew, how about you? Uh, yeah, so I was... So last time I think we talked about quite a lot of doc, Eighth Doctor books because um, we were looking at uh, Alien Bodies. And, mm. and I think one of the books that we didn't mention, which I think is one of the standouts of the range, um, is Anacrophobia uh, by Jonathan Morris, um, which... Uh, it's a very creepy, timey-wimey story. Um, and I think one of the things that I really like it when Doctor Who novels do is that the imagery in it is really strong. So the villains in it are these um, people with clock faces. So they're very, they're a bit like um, a Sapphire and Steel character. Um, it's this kind of bowler-hatted man with a, with a clock for a face um, and also kind of based on Rennie Magritte paintings. Mm -hmm. um, and they're so sinister and the kind of way that they come into being is really sinister. Um, and um, yeah, it's just a very atmospheric, very Doctor Who story. And you can imagine it, them doing it on TV because it's quite a kind of small contained story with this really strong, but potentially quite cheap <laughs> visual <laughs> of people with clocks for faces. So it feels like a classic Doctor Who story. Um, that's just yeah dripping in atmosphere and I, th I think it came out the same month as the chimes of midnight and it was they were both kind of have a similar vibe to them um, but chimes of midnight is the, obviously the kind of one which people speak of as this mm -hmm. stone cold classic which it is but anacrophobia is also really good in um i who it says there was a there's an interview with uh, jonathan morrison there and apparently they had a, like a series of uh, emails going back and forth, Rob Shearman and Johnny Morris, because they were both doing these sort of sapphire and steel sort of type books. And it, Are you doing this? No, right, I'll put it in. Are you doing <laughs> that? I'll put it in. Nice. Do you remember that sequence? I, I'll never forget it. It chilled me to the bone, and I'll never forget the image where the fella is so depressed, he slashes his wrist at the end of a... Of, of a and all he's got in his wrist is cogs and whirs from yeah. the inside of a clock. Yeah. It's chilling that book. Yeah, it's like they kind of the well, I won't spoil it because it's a recommendation, but yeah, like, like I said, the way that these clock people are created is really creepy and upsetting in a you really think, good way. <laughs> you think like a sort of cheap base under siege Doctor Who story would not translate well in print, but it is stifling that one. Yeah. Mark. Okay, well, as I've already said, I'm not perhaps as uh well read as you guys um one we're thing getting you there though recently. we are getting you there, you are you're, yeah. do you're doing god's work uh <laughs> i've recently picked up uh, it's only just come out um <clears throat> it's an anthology of the fourth doctor comic books from doctor who weekly so bizarrely although i started watching in 1979 i didn't have any knowledge of doctor who magazine until probably I think I remember getting the the summer special with uh, Peter Davison on the front of it. So it would have been like what, 82, 83. Um, so I missed out on, on all of these. And obviously the Star Beast is coming up as we record now uh, for the 60th. So that's one of the stories that's included. The Iron Legion's in there and there's lots of really great stories. So I've only just started reading through it, but uh, it's quite interesting. It's like a little snapshot of what was going on back in the early 80s pick it up that sounds great yeah i would like to recommend 
Vampire Science by Kate Orman and Jonathan Blum. I was almost going to be controversial and recommend The Eight Doctors, but even I couldn't go that far. (laughs) Um, The Eight Doctors hit and everyone went, what the hell is this after the new adventures? (laughs) We've just had Sovalasin and Lung Barrow and all these dense books and suddenly Terror Sticks is plundering. After that, it was back into trying new things again. And it's Kate Orman and John Blum basically taking the remit of the TV movie, the romantic doctor, um, the American setting and what effectively should be Grace Holloway. But unfortunately, they didn't have the rights. So they made a Carolyn. I think her name is in that. Um, It's the first proper um, adventure for Sam Jones. And she's always written brilliantly by that. This pair, this and C and I, I think they write. Yeah. <clears throat> and um like there's one sequence where sam is all bravado and bluster and it's set in a nightclub and it's it really puts you there in the scene with the crazy music the lighting and everything's going on and she's bitten by a vampire because she's so you know oh i could do anything i'm traveling with the doctor and so it's like a cautionary tale for her it's a morality tale about vampires as well it puts the doctor in an impossible situation where he has to make really tough choices it's a really great character story as well because Carolyn's a bit disillusioned and goes on a journey of sort of discovering the, the joy of life with the Doctor throughout the book. Um, it's got great set pieces and it. it's just a really bloody good book, let alone a good Doctor Who book. And it's definitely one of the standouts. It's pro- probably that Alien Bodies and Scarlet Empress in that first salvo of eight Doctor books. I think that's that's probably three of the best. Well, everyone's nodding their heads, so I'm assuming everyone's yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> they all sound like cracking recommendations. Fantastic recommends. Boys, I've got a suggestion um, if you are happy to read another Doctor Who book. And I would quite like to go... Now we've done a Moffat, which is obviously Mark's wheelhouse. I yeah. really fancy the three of us pulling apart the Scarlet Empress. Because okay. <laughs> uh, that's, that's uh, Andrew's big love, and that was his recommend last time. And it's just such a different sort of book. It's it's such a... Um, it's like distilled fantasy in Doctor Who, isn't it? Yeah. What do you reckon? Let's I mean, do it. Yeah. I, re- I realise I've done a lot of eight, eight Doctor books recently, but I've got a ton of other stuff coming out soon. Rob Shearman's Dalek... Oh, in fact, we're doing Verd Degree as well, and Mad Dogs and Englishman. I've got a bit of a hard on here for Paul Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Time of your life and some missing adventure, a couple of new adventures as well. So, um, how about it, uh, Scarlet Empress? Next time, yeah, let's give it a go. Definitely. Then, um, before we vanish, I'm not sure if I asked you this last time, but would you care to just let everybody know where you might be online? I think I did, but let's do it again. Um, Andrew, you go first. Uh, so you can find me on uh, Twitter. I'm not calling it X. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, Doctor Who cover story, which is DW cover story is my app, um, where I look at cover art from um, across Doctor Who history. And I've recently uh, done a series of tweets about uh, the Star Beast um, with it being pretty current. Um, and I haven't been as active on the account as I would like to be, but um, yeah. Hopefully in future we'll we'll be looking at some more exciting stuff. I said it last time. I'm going to say it again. You put up those covers and the nostalgia it instills in me is mm-hmm. extraordinary. 
<laughs> it's, it's amazing how a cover image though can just take you back to when you first read something or watch something or listen to something yeah completely i mean that's why i do it it's, it's kind of for my benefit <laughs> as well as my followers just indulging in my own nostalgia do you know on the last episode i recorded in this people were very mean about black sheep covers of um <laughs> hey will you do a series of those please just to show people how good they can be <laughs> i've gone through all of the eighth doctor stuff if people scroll back scroll back far enough but yeah i've actually got a big soft spot for the um for some of the black sheep stuff because it was very much like my era and i think they do interesting stuff they do interesting visuals and kind of were pushing the limits of what photoshop could do at the time just those weird swirly ones they did at the beginning that were very <laughs> unimaginative. Uh, Luke, like the ultimate treasure or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, good yeah. Grief. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that cover. Uh, I am on the Tweety uh, at Grumpy2EB uh, for Electric Boogaloo. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, if you feel like you're. If you feel like you're interested in uh, men pretending to beat each other up, I do a Japanese wrestling podcast. It's the Never Open Podcast, which you can also find at the Tweety at Never Open Pod. I'm a lot more sweary and everything there. I'm a bit more polite. I'm just getting to know you guys <laughs> right now. So uh, maybe in a few podcasts time, we'll be like, oh, that sort of, a Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mark thought that was going to be this episode, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you see me and Andrew's eyes light up then when you said it's all about men wrestling each other? <laughs> like, oh, yes. <laughs> Instant subscribe. <laughs> Mark, where are you online? Okay, so uh, myself and my friend Ian Martin, uh, we have a podcast called All of Time and Space. and We're watching all of Doctor Who in broadcast order. We have some fabulous guests. And we have a lot of fun. We have to do silly quizzes. And uh, yeah, it's just, we don't take it too seriously, but we're, we're enjoying taking the journey the long way around. You can find us on Twitter at Time End Space Pod. And I am imaginatively at Mark Cockrum. Took you a long time to figure that one out, didn't it? It really did. Gentlemen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a pleasure to talk about Doctor Who and Prose with all of you. I cannot wait till next time. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for inviting us on.